Hello, this is Aaron Saft and the MR Running Pains podcast, and we have a jam-packed episode today. Um, to start, I've got a special guest, Tara Pruitt. Tara is um, bringing the Trail Running Film Festival to Asheville, North Carolina. So uh, we have a short conversation about the, the Trail Film Festival. Uh, I think it's great what she's trying to do and uh, bring this to our community and, and get our, our community into a gathering that's not in a, uh, a normal setting. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that and you can learn more about uh, what's going on with the Trail Running Film Festival um, and look to see if there's one in your area if you're not in uh, this region. Uh, the second conversation is with Miriam Saloum, uh, my physical therapist from the Runner's Mechanic. She's uh, the most repeated guest on this podcast because she just has so much knowledge and such to share. Uh, Miriam has been uh, working on some blog posts about some injuries that she actually sustained herself and how one injury kind of manifested and turned into another. Uh, so we have a really good conversation about a labrum tear in her hip and then how it later uh, kind of helped or developed into uh, a, uh, a high hamstring uh, tendinopathy. So um, proximal hamstring tendinopathy, I believe is the, the correct term. But anyhow, uh, is so much uh, in, in that conversation. I really enjoyed that conversation with Miriam. We talk you know, everything about how training can exacerbate the problem, um, things to help alleviate these things. Uh, you know, it's just a lot of different things here. Now, you know, this by no means as a disclaimer is, is no um, substitute for medical advice. So, you know, do not use this as your treatment plan. Please see your, you know, your physician, your uh, sports orthopedic physician or your family physician, your primary care physician. Uh, seek medical advice. Uh, you know, these are just what worked for Miriam, some things she did, some things that, you know, can work. But again, seek medical professional help if you're having any of these problems. So um, I'm going to get to Tara Pruitt's conversation here first. I hope you enjoy hearing about the Trail Film Festival and that you get to see it this year. It sounds like it's going to have some great films as always. All right. Got a special guest with me here, Miss Tara Pruitt. How are you today, ma'am? I am great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing dandy as always. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, Tara has um, brought something to our community that we haven't seen in a few years. Uh, which I'm incredibly excited that she's uh, going to share this with us. Um, so Tara, um, how did this opportunity present itself? How did you find out about the uh, bringing the film festival back to uh, Western North Carolina? Well, originally I'm from the West Coast and follow a lot of events that happen out there and races and different types of outdoor activities. And I'm on the email list for the Trail Running Film Festival and they sent out, they wanted to try something different this year. Generally, they travel around the country each city, to try to visit each city that they host the trail running film festival in. And this year they wanted to see if they could get in more cities by reaching out to their communities to see if someone in the community wanted to host the event. And so I filled out the um, information sheet and... Hey. They got back to me and I was like, okay, here we go. This is going to be awesome. I'm excited to bring it to Asheville. Yeah. That's awesome. When was the last time I was here? Was that pre-COVID? 
I believe 2019, maybe 18, but I, I'm fairly certain I I went in 2019. All right, and that was at the um, uh, what was the the lyric? That's the not the lyric, the Grail Grail movie Grail. house, the Grail. Yeah. Yes, sorry. Yeah, Excuse when me. it was at the other location. But, right, the Grail. Okay, so and that was that was a nice theater. Uh, it's it's smaller, which. Um, why don't you talk about the venue that you have chosen and why you yeah. chose that? Yes. So the ultimate goal is to bring our community together and get us excited about the thing that we love, being out on the trails. And I wanted a venue that we could house more than, um, you know, 100 people or 80 people. And so I reached out to the Orange Peel and they were excited to have a different type of event because generally they're a music venue um and they were they were thrilled they were on board they were said they said great let's do it so i i realized that the date is a tentatively and amongst a lot of spring breaks uh but i was excited that they are squeezing us in on a wednesday <laughs> and, and and made it happen so they they're they'll have a different clientele that evening <laughs> for sure for sure uh what is the capacity at the orangeville what did they tell you that they think they could comfortably fit yeah, we can seat 415, so that's not including standing room. Um, and we they they can't wait to have us, and we're going to have a food truck as well, uh, so that we can make sure that as hungry runners, we like to eat while we're entertained. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there is there a theme this year? Um, sometimes you know they they theme these uh, and try to bring in the collective of the films. Is that in the case this year? So ultimately, the goal is um, independent filmmakers submit their films. This year, they submitted by January 7th. And I'll be showing some teasers in our event Facebook page for the tra Asheville Local Trail Running Film Festival. So you want to make sure to follow that to learn about our sponsors and to also see the sneak peeks of our films. But this year, amongst the top goal being pulling our community together, the second goal is to encourage all of us to give back in some way and to be able to get back out, whether it be volunteering in a, at an, a, as a volunteer at a race or as um, in trail maintenance in our communities. We have a lot of trail projects going on around town as well as outside of town to connect into town um, on top of our uh uh, new trails getting built out in Old Fort, as well as in Madison County and Mitchell County. And then the other, the third way to get involved is to check out joining your local search and rescue team. Which you so, have done yourself, right? Yes, I joined the Haywood County CMC um, hey, uh, rescue search and rescue team. And it's just a whole nother avenue, you know, for us to really take take into consideration um, what goes into play when when someone needs rescued on top of, it made me really double think about how to be more prepared on the trail. I tend to carry the bare minimum and now I carry a lot more than that <laughs> because you just never know. You, we, we as runners have a different mindset that you almost hope and think, well, that won't happen to me, that won't happen to me, or I know my way around. And I want us to kind of think in terms of, well, what if it did happen? We'll like always plan for the worst. Um, and as like, I'm one of those mom type groupies, I'm the <laughs> mom in the group and I always have everything. So I've got water, snacks, gear, you know, <laughs> extra layers, all the things. So 
Um, I think that getting a different perspective from a search and rescue mindset really opened my eyes to other ways I could be more prepared on the trail. And you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I I think that sounds like another podcast in and of itself. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it's wonderful that they are trying to to bring this and and make it cohesive. Um, you know, it, it's uh, COVID has done a lot of uh, damage, you know, not only to us uh, as, as health, but, um, you know, collectively as a community, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of strained relationships because we haven't had that personal contact and it, you know, it, it made us um, a little bit more excommunicated or, um, you know, um, introverted or, <laughs> or uh, shy away from social interaction. So uh, this is wonderful, um, you know, to try to kind of create that cohesion again. Um and have you been able to see the previews yourself of the of the films? Not, Not yet. yet. This, week, <laughs> this week, the director is re, re, uh, releasing those to the hosts of each city so that we can take a look as we start to share. Yeah. And, and you know, just to backpedal a little, not only did COVID, cut, COVID kind of put us in our holes personally, you know, I don't know about what kind of research is out there, but I do know a large percentage of trail runners are introverted. Hmm. And I, and it, it made my, I myself it grew up very introverted and extremely shy. And I would have never saw myself, if you'd asked me at 10 years old or 15 years old, would you have ever seen yourself doing what you do now? I would have said, absolutely not. There's no way. And the t- trail running has brought my extrovert out. And I feel like a lot of other trail runners or, or adventure adventure athletes can relate to that. You know, it's a place that we're not having to necessarily have that face-to-face conversation all the time. But then when we're out there sharing the trail with someone, we tend to start to open up and share our journey. And you end up meeting people that you would have never met any other part of your life and never would have imagined connecting with them on that realm and I think that's what we missed during the past few years is the connectivity that we also we all longed for, but yet um, needed it in spurts on top of our jobs being put, you know, OK, now you work from home and a lot of them didn't go back to working in person. And so it's just become easier to sink into our shells. And so this to me, this event is reminding us of why we got connected in this community and why it is such an important piece of all of us that brings out another part of our soul. Yeah. Well, it also connects us to the trail itself. Um, You know, when we do these sort of things, you know, as, as what you mentioned, volunteering in whatever capacity, be it trail maintenance, be it search and rescue, um, we make a deeper connection with the trail and, you know, we grow our love and respect, not only for our community, but for the trail itself. You know, we, we take pride in, in seeing that development and maintenance of, of the trail. Um, you know, we, we come to think of, I know we were running yesterday and I was on a specific trail and it brought back, you know, memories of other runs that I had done with other friends and, you know, just this, uh, you know, connection of this has you know roots with me uh so i think it does a lot you know in that regard as well so it's it's wonderful that we get these reminders um and you know in the past that you know the films they've been very inspiring and you know you i mean i don't know about you but i often find myself on youtube um sometimes i just need that inspiration to kind of get out there and i think these films do a great job of kind of um you know drawing out that inspiration 
yeah, I'm a big fan of, of a lot of the YouTube adventures that people share. And there's another um, app that is called Adventure Plus. And they share a lot of, they're all, it's all outdoor adventures and stories told by, and I caught myself watching that last night instead of <laughs> the other hot topic. And I was, <laughs> I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch what I, what inspires me and gets me excited. Um, yes. But seeing, hearing the whole thing about this realm of the film festival is going to be about those stories told that all walks of life from all parts of the world and from all different journeys that just they, they you can't help but like why did I how did they overcome that or how or how did you know they 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 used running as a piece of their story to help pull them through whatever obstacles they were they were facing and it's 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 inspiring yeah I agree absolutely that's great that's great um so um talk a little bit about um the the schedule what's the schedule look like yeah so doors will open at six and we'll have the food truck ready to start slinging out some pizzas and um some wings and a couple other things um we'll have Smokey's pizza on on the premises to be able to share some food and then um the films will start at seven they are technically two hours long we'll have about a 20-ish minute intermission to we will have a panel of local everyday athletes talking about their walk of life and um, how they're involved in our community and what inspires them to stay motivated to do their, um, to have that, so that trail running is a part of their everyday life. Um, nice. So I'm excited for that. We'll have a panel of local athletes that are you know, they each have a unique story and they each have a, a unique involvement in a, and I think that I will never be able to put into the, the the glamorous words of the stories that they could be sharing. So you have to come and hear what they have to say at the film festival. <laughs> awesome. Um, where, what is the next closest location to us? Ooh, I think it's, um, so there's not one in North Carolina yet that I know of. And okay. I think, Ohio is the closest. Ohio, um, wow. And yeah, Ohio. Our, our date is March 15th, correct? Mm -hmm. Our date is March, excuse me, March 15th, 7 p.m. at the Orange Peel, downtown Asheville. Films start at 7. Films start at 7. Yep, you all have to definitely allot enough time to park and find parking. And the food truck will be available. Doors open at 6. But door, yeah, films start at 7. Um so so yeah, I'm pretty certain that, that the um, the closest is maybe Virginia, but I think Ohio is going to be the closest. Okay. Yeah. So, are they going to have a, a virtual component at all this year? They will be in a virtual May 5th through May 15th. Tickets aren't available yet because they're trying to finalize our last couple of shows um, in other parts of the country. Okay. Right on. And where can folks get tickets and more information? So, um, tickets are on ultra sign up. Just make sure that you look for the Asheville location because each, each, there will be other trail running film festivals on ultra sign up. So just make sure you find Asheville. And the other option is the trailfilmfest.com. They, that is the website that you can look up the information on the tour. 
as well as the other cities. And they, they will also host um, the, the virtual show in the beginning of May. Cool. Uh, and what is, uh, what is tickets costing? $20 a ticket. $20 ticket. Awesome. Is there anything else that are you doing giveaways, any fun stuff like that? Yes. Good question. We are doing giveaways from local race directors as well as local running stores that are involved. And um, we have um, Jam Bar as a sponsor to be doing giving away some of the um, some of their they have four bars out right now. And the, they have a, such a cool story. You have to look up jambar.com because um, the owner used to be the owner of Power Bar, which is a okay. cool story too. She still uses the mixer that she made Power Bars in <laughs> to make jam bars. And I'm completely impressed with that. Yeah. So we're, we're, re we're really excited to have them on board. And I've been, I've been eating their bars on my runs and they're amazing. I was like, hey. <laughs> They, they chew well. They taste amazing. They're good for you. They're the perfect fuel. Yeah. Nice. And then any other uh, any other sponsors that you want to give a quick shout out to? Yeah. So, of course, the Orange Peel, because we're just great. We're so grateful that they are uh, allowing us to come and interrupt their music venue. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is such a great venue. And their their staff, their event staff have been amazing. Um, FootRx is a, sp a sponsor. Jam Bar is a sponsor. Um, and Smokey's Pizza is a sponsor. And then um, t I will be sharing more of our sponsors um, that are in the works for with some local race directors. Uh, they'll, they'll, all of those will be posted and highlighted in our Facebook um, event for the Trail Running Film Festival in Asheville specifically. Awesome. Is there any other social media handles that people should follow? Do you have anything on Instagram or Twitter or anything? So you can follow me on Instagram as well as um the the actual trail running film fest on Instagram because they do um, post highlights and they do um, occasionally put uh, like uh, highlights about Asheville and the the different towns being hosts but they will also be sharing little sneaks and peeks of what's been going on in the background for them so nice. yeah nice yeah. Um, the organization themselves, um, who puts this on? It is. So it was, it's changed, uh, a little bit of some direction right now. Matthias is the film director and, um, he is the one in charge of all of all handling all of this. And you can find information or contact info on the trailfilmfest.com. Cool. Right on. Yeah. Awesome. Anything yeah. else that we're missing folks should know about? Ooh, I don't think so. I just think that um, between giveaways and race it, giveaway race it, race entries and getting to know some of our sponsors, um, being able to find some ways to get involved in the community in a way that you may not have thought possible and getting stoked and excited for a, the rest of the year of our adventures but most importantly, connecting with our community and falling back in love with the sport that we love so much. Awesome. That's a great way to close it. Awesome, Tara. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. Um, I wish I could be there in person myself. <laughs> but as Tara said, that does fall on our spring break. <laughs> so, uh, But it's a great uh, opportunity. I, I had a great time when uh, when we went to the last film festival. Um, I love the films. I love being around the people and, and talking to everyone there. 
Um, so I, I highly encourage you if you're in the region again, you know, as Tara said, right now, we're the only, re you know, regionally, we're the only people hosting, which is all thanks to Tara. So thank you, Tara, for doing that. Yes, excited. And I hope to see everybody there. Thank you, Tara, for joining me. Uh, that was, it was really cool that we're going to have this back. It's been a few years. Um, I watched it virtually over COVID. Uh, pretty cool. It's going to be back in the theaters. As I said, unfortunately, I'll be out of town. But uh, I really look forward to, uh, to uh, you know, seeing the films virtually again this year. It's, uh, it's a cool, uh, cool thing that they do. So thank you, Tara. Uh, and as I mentioned in the intro, my next guest is Miriam Saloom, um, physical therapist and runner, uh, just an all-around great person. So I uh, hope you enjoyed this conversation with Miriam. I sure did. Welcome back, Miriam. <laughs> yeah, that's hey, Aaron. <laughs> we, uh, we have our, our most frequent guest back and um, <laughs> most requested. I think uh, people learned so much from you, Miriam. So uh, I'm honored and and um, proud to have you back on so thank you for for coming on and sharing your story once again <laughs> uh, thanks for having me Aaron happy 2023 happy 2023 yes absolutely my goodness um this one is actually going to be an interesting episode um and Miriam had this idea which I think was fantastic um because she experienced an injury uh and this is something that uh you know a lot of runners can experience and and perhaps you have experienced yourself seeing the title wanted to kind of learn more so um but um miriam um you know why don't you just start for those that that don't know you just give us a little background about you yes hey um i'm miriam salom i'm the owner of the runner's mechanic physical therapy clinic here in Asheville, north carolina i specialize in working with runners and doing biomechanical analysis and i just love my job so <laughs> <laughs> And That's you're a, also a runner. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm also a runner. Enjoyable pastime sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, and uh, so take us take us back to um, how did this all come about? What what was going on? What were you training for? Um, you know, give us your thoughts there and your. Yeah. So um, actually, the you know, kind of the impetus for writing this was I had this, I created my website, this kind of blog page. And over the years, it's just stayed pretty empty. Um, just things have been busy. And I really wanted to start writing some, some articles um, for the blog. And um, the first thing that popped in my head, um, because I deal with this so often is talking to people about injuries that aren't necessarily going to heal. Um, how do you move forward as a runner when you don't have an injury that is going to quote unquote heal? Um, you know, I deal with some amazing people. They have injuries that are just, you know, very vast and, and diverse. Um, but obviously I can't tell those stories. Um, so I decided to tell one of my own for this blog. Um, and I sat down and I, I started to write it. And it was about an injury that I got in um, 2017. Uh, and I realized as I kind of wrote it out that um, I had um, possibly three diagnoses, which were probably the most common in most runners' um, histories. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to use myself as an example, and hopefully I can give some tips about what I went through um, to help others. So, and when I was writing this, Aaron, it was so funny because you popped up in the story. You probably noticed that <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> 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 so you're actually part of the story. Yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, um, I'd never really had a major running injury. It's funny, people always assume that I got into running rehabilitation because I dealt with an injury and maybe somebody helped me with it. But I actually didn't ever experience that all my life with sports and running. And, you know, I was really lucky. Um, and I was just starting to train for your new race, the uh, Rooster's Revenge, <laughs> um, the first one that you had. And right. that was the first time I had run a 30K. Um, I believe. And so it was really exciting. My training was going really well. Um, I hired Kelly uh, Moyan to help me with lifting. So I was doing Olympic lifting. I had a, a training program, like I was taking it really seriously. And um, I was training with my friend Jen and, and things were going really, really well. And, um, and the first injury that I kind of talk about, I didn't actually get the injury how you typically do. Um, so I'll make a note for that for those listening. I know it's more of a traumatic injury than a repetitive injury, but it has the same kind of um, outcome. So anyway, I was um, it was about two weeks out from the race and I was doing a training run out in Bing Creek and I was on a piece of single track and there is a guy walking his dog um, coming the opposite direction. Uh, and the dog just took a look at me. Um, it might have been my hydration pack or whatever, but the dog just went nuts. Um, mm. He just got really low to the ground and bared his teeth and just started to charge up the hill. And, you know, I realized the dog was going to, he was trying to attack. And so, you know, I kind of stopped. And I was trying to figure out what to do. And I realized I had a couple extra seconds because the dog had to go uphill. Um, so it was kind of slowing him down. And so I just kind of threw myself down one side of the, the trail. And I honestly don't know what it was. I don't know whether it was like a down tree or a bush or whatever, but I slid under some kind of shrubs to just try to kind of cover my body so that the dog couldn't get me. And um, I really remember trying to like get really compact under the brush and like tuck my head. And um, I could hear the dog. He was, you know, just kind of growling and getting low to the ground, but he couldn't reach me. And I was, um, I was just kind of waiting for the owner to come and pull the dog back. And eventually that happened. Um, and I think I was just so terrified. I just ended up the sprinting right out from under the bush and, and just running away. Oh, gosh. <laughs> for like a mile, I just started sprinting. Um, and so I don't remember any like pain or having any problems, you know, in that regards. But I think also I was just had so much adrenaline. I just couldn't, um, think about any of that. And so when I got home, I actually, I felt okay. Um, I took a shower and, kind of went by my day and I just had one long run left before the race. And so um, that next weekend was the next time I was you know, really going out for a run. And I kept noticing my left hip was, was super, super tight. Um, I just remember always having to like stretch my hip flexors, stretch my kind of groin area as I got through my run. Um, and it felt pretty achy, um, a little tingly um, and, and really kind of uncoordinated. Um, but it wasn't, I wasn't super worried, you know, I realized, you know, that was my last long run and then I had to taper and, and then we had the race. Um, and so anyway, the race I believe was September. Is that right? Yep. Um, so, uh, we had the race and everything went super great. Um, during the race, I realized, um, two major things. Um, one was that all my training had really paid off in the lifting, I felt really strong. I start, felt strong on the hills. I was doing great. Um, the other thing I realized is that I had done something super horrible to my hip. Um, it was in severe pain. It was like deep bone pain in my kind of anterior hip and groin area. 
And um, I remember the last couple miles, I was like, this is, I'm, I'm probably gonna have to have this looked at. This is really, um, you know, it's either, you know, a stress fracture or a labral tear. Um, and so I got done with the race and I was super happy and, you know, we were all just kind of, you know, celebrating and I was like, well, you know, in my head, I was like, well, maybe it's not that bad and I'll take a little time off and, um, you know, and I kind of played around with it for a little bit, but I never could get back to running any kind of distance without fairly severe hip pain. Um, and so this was the first thing that I wanted to, um, definitely communicate to people because it's the first conversation I have with clients when they come in is when you've taken some time off and you return to running and you have that deep anterior hip pain, it's very difficult to tell whether it might be a stress fracture or it might be a labral tear. Um, these are two really common things that happen in, in running. Um, and so um, I, I treated as much as I could, but I also didn't want to be um, negligent of my health because um, I think we talked about on one of your podcasts about a femoral neck stress fracture can be a really serious um, issue. So I went and saw a physician that I knew, um, did a great workup. We did an x-ray. Uh, we did an MRI. And it was indeed a labral tear. Um, and um, I'll talk to you about like what a labral tear actually is. But there and there also was like a ding in my cartilage where like the, the head of my femur, which is the thigh bone, had really knocked into the socket. So I also had a cartilage ding in addition to the labral tear. And so um, if you were to describe where that pain was, just so folks have a, you know, is that the, the side of the leg, the hip kind of there, uh, not the front or the back, more towards the side is where you're describing the pain? Yeah, that, you know, that's a great question because labral tears have a couple um different presentations. So, um, and what the labrum is, if anyone, we also have one in the shoulder too, I always like to tell people, but um, what the labrum is, is, is it's a cartilaginous ring. And so like when I'm talking to clients, it's kind of like um, if you can envision a plunger. So the head of the, the femur, the head of the thigh bone is like a ball. And then in the pelvis, there's a socket. Okay. So like a cup. And so that's where the, the plunger kind of sucks the ball of the femur or the thigh bone into the cup. And it also creates a negative pressure. So it allows a really tight joint and a very congruent joint. So when the labrum is disrupted, if there's a tear or degeneration, the hip is a little bit more unstable. So there's a couple of different things that we see with people. Um, a very common presentation is what's called the C sign. So if you're listening to this podcast, make your hand into like this, the sign of a C and put it on the side of your hip, okay? Some people with label tears or impingement have that C sign presentation. Okay, that's very common. Um, another presentation you can have is groin pain. So if you just point into the, the front crease of your hip, that's another really common place to have um, hip pain with a labral tear. Actually, groin pain is almost um, uh, one of the things that's reported almost 100% of the time with labral tears. The problem is that deep hip pain in the front can also be a sign of a femoral neck stress fracture. So that's when things kind of overlap a little bit. Um, people can also have pain in the back. Okay. So people can have posterior labral tears where the um, pain is more in kind of the buttock area. Um, so it is kind of a really vague presentation. It's usually a very deep feeling, um, very uncomfortable. Um, and the leg feels uh, a little uncoordinated. So you can have a, a lateral C sign, so pain on the side of the hip, or pain also deep in the anterior groin. And when you had it um, examined, was it an X-ray that presented the tear? Yeah, 
So they, they usually always start with an x-ray. Um, the x-ray doesn't give a whole lot of great information. I think, I mean, physicians have to kind of tick that one off their box because of a couple different reasons. Um, even stress fractures, one third of all stress fractures will not show up in an x-ray. So, and especially if it just happened, they usually like to wait two weeks after the event to actually even see if the stress fracture will pop up in the x-ray. So x-rays show things like joint space, but especially for, um, for label issues, they can also show a deformity. I know deformity sounds horrible, but it's called a pincer cam deformity. Um, and I actually had one, I have, I have one in both hips, actually. It's a super common presentation. And all it means is that, you know, how we talked about the socket being kind of that cup in the um, in the pelvis that that holds the, the ball of the femur. So that cup can actually have what's called a pincer. So a very sharp um, little lip on it. And then the femur has a little extra piece of bone called the cam, which also means mound. OK, so when the pincer or the sharp part encounters the mound or the the bump on the femur, it's not a very congruent joint. So some people have a large pincer cam deformity and they can, they're also highly coordinate, uh, correlated with labral tears. Um, so some people can have these um, without any kind of trauma, obviously just re repetitive running and it can actually cause some of those label issues. So. Gotcha. And, and you referred, this is what the injury that you're referring to that typically doesn't heal. Is that correct? The labrum. Yes. Mm -hmm. The labrum is not very vascular. So actually it doesn't heal. Yeah. Gotcha. And so what, what do doctors usually, you know, say that should be done or shouldn't be done? <laughs> yeah. So that's where we get into like a really interesting round because um, there's actually, um, there's a great study. They took hundreds of NFL players and, and MRI their hips. And I mean, a good percentage of them had labral tears, but they had no pain. Mm. Um, so just because someone has a labral tear doesn't necessarily mean they have pain. Mm -hmm. um, also, I've had clients that have confirmed really small labral tears that have a ton of pain. Um, so it's it's really kind of a quagmire in the medical community about, you know, what one causes a lot of pain for some people that even have a small labral tear. Um, and then two, you know, what what is the next step? I think there are label uh, repairs. Um, so there is a big surgery. And that's something I was referred to a, a hip surgeon to kind of talk about my options and um, just by coincidence, I, I used to teach a, a course on biomechanics for years and I became obsessed. This is before my, I had the hip injury. I became obsessed with learning about labral tears. And I was like, well, you know, this is something I'm starting to see with runners. And it really wasn't much in the research about it. Um, and there were really, there, there were really healthy studies that were talking about people with labral tears, professional athletes that rehab successfully mm. um, and had just as good outcomes with these surgeries. Um, I knew going into it, I was 40, I, I was probably closer to 41 years old at the time. Um, there aren't a lot of studies about people in my age group that have had labral repairs. It's mostly people in their thirties, you know, and they, they don't have to deal with any kind of degeneration issues. Um, so, and I also knew there were some studies that conservative therapy would be helpful and that the, um, the surgery was not always the best first approach. Mm. Um, also for my lifestyle, I had small kids that needed a lot of help. I had a business. Um, there were a lot of things that really made it, um, feel very difficult to go through with the surgery just because you had a, a, a pretty significant time that you're non-weight bearing. 
Um, and so with some people, that surgery option is, you know, it's great. It makes a lot of sense. Um, when I was talking to my physician and he was really awesome. We have, we have some great people here. Um, uh, it was, it seemed like just as a reasonable, um, decision on my part to try to rehab conservatively from it. Um, and that's what I, I really wanted to do. So, um, that's what I decided to do, but I always kept my mind open. I was like, if I'm not happy with this, I will, you know, go back and talk about the surgery. Mm-hmm. And, and so what does rehabbing that look like? Okay. With the, with the conservative rehab. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I had a lot of, I know. So I, I mean, I was highly symptomatic. Like I quit running. I couldn't do any, I tried to swim. I couldn't swim. I couldn't, mm-hmm. um, Pilates was completely out of the question. So I had a lot of hip flexor, um, irritation and pain and a lot of, um, spasm like around my hip flexors and adductors. Um, standing was horribly painful. Sitting was horribly painful. It didn't really matter what I was doing. So I'd really kind of quit most activities, um, just because of the pain levels. I was trying to walk a little bit, um, but I just had a lot of inflammation. And and so I ended up getting a cortisone injection, um, to see if I could knock down some of the inflammation just to start some normal activities. And this has been over, let's see, the injury was in September. I didn't get the MRI till December. Um, so I was really trying to give it some time to calm down. Um, and so I decided to do, um, an injection first, which is really, you know, doing one is a really safe procedure. Um, see if I can knock down the pain a little bit. And then as I started to feel less irritable, my pain levels started to come down some, I was able to tolerate a a good amount of glute work. Um, so, um, hip extension felt really good. Um, hip abduction felt pretty good. So anything for anyone listening, just any kind of work that makes your, your buttocks bigger, pretty much. Um, (laughs) so bands, bridges, um, I really tried to strengthen my quad, um, because Mm. of the area of my injury, hip flexion was very painful. So things like a lot of Pilates based, like leg lifts and things like that were extremely painful. So I had to really kind of tone that down a bit with any kind of workouts that I did. So particularly for me, some people have other areas that they're, they're uncomfortable with. So, you know, you just try to strengthen as much as you can, um, with isometrics and and bands and things like that in a comfortable range. So that's what I started with first. Great. And was the injection successful? Um, it probably dimmed things down. The the beautiful thing about the injection is also given with lidocaine. I don't know if anyone has ever had lidocaine, <laughs> but it pretty much deadens everything. And I remember getting that injection. I was like, oh, my gosh, this was what it's like to be without pain for like a couple hours. It was pretty magical. Um, yeah, and so it didn't it didn't knock everything out, but it definitely knocked it down a few points um, with some people. And I, I tell a lot of clients that are thinking about doing the injection route first, you know, um, you know, it's kind of 50 50. Sometimes it's a big game changer and sometimes it isn't. I think it, it varies on how much um, inflammation you have at the time. Um, so, but you definitely have to modify your activities. Um, unfortunately, it's just one of those things you just have to make sure you're not banging your hip around You're you're loading with intolerance and you're strengthening with intolerance. Um, and that's really hard for runners. Um, you know, and, uh, that was another thing I kind of wrote about is you definitely have to, you know, there's definitely a loss there. And so, you know, give yourself some space. I mean, this is what I did with myself is like, I would just give myself some space to feel kind of sad about it. Um, I mean, there definitely were some really hard days. Um, and then, you know, then you have to somehow kind of snap out of it and, and just kind of move forward. So, um, I always tell people, try not to shove things down and not feel anything at all, you know, <laughs> just let yourself feel sad a bit, you know, right, and, right. and then try to surround yourself with people that will 
you know, lift you up, you know, know there's a better day ahead and that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's, you know, it's very much the seven stages of grieving, you know, that, that we go through with an injury and you have to allow each stage to, to kind of come and go. Um, you know, we, we, we grieve, we deny, we, <laughs> we get angry, you know, I mean, we go through all of it. Um, mm -hmm. and we try to, uh, bargain. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, we, we find ourselves doing all of these things, you know, that we, we do in grieving because it's, it really is, we are going through the stages of grieving. So, um, uh, that's, that's, that's tough. Um, so, um, it, you know, it's your, um, your progression here, you've, you're able to do some exercises, um, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, how much time before you started to see just light activity again? Yeah. So, um, let's see. So that was probably around, um, late December. I started to do some walk running, um, you know, out on the trails, taking it easy. Um, and then slowly I was proceed, I was getting, you know, into like the three mile range, the four mile range, you know, six mile range. Um, and so I was really letting pain be my guide. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I knew what was going on. I had the imaging. Um, I knew what I was dealing with. I knew I had to really work on my strength um, and making sure I was trying not to ramp up too quickly. Um, so, and so that's why I did. I took days off in between. Um, I did not do a lot of steep stuff because I didn't want to go into a lot of hip flexion. Um, which I think is, you know, also we see a lot with hip labral tears. Um, and I wasn't doing, I quit doing any kind of obviously speed work um, because that's another thing that really can force more um, power through the system. Um, and so I, I quit that altogether. Um, and yeah, and things started to really come around in January. I felt like I was doing pretty okay. Um, I was running about three times a week and I was kind of getting up into like the 10 mile range for my long run. Um yeah. And then the the next thing I knew was your uh, Yeti race. Um, no, it was, no, it wasn't. It was the, um, was it the DuPont? Um, Yeti or not? Yeah, it was. The Yeti or not. February. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 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 And um, I'd love that race. And, you know, I kind of went out there. I was like, I'm just going to take it easy. And if I need to, if I need to bail, I'm going to, I'm going to bail. It's not a problem, you know, and um, you know, I saw you out there and you're, and you're just like, you know, you got this and, I was like, okay, that sounds good. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes you just need somebody to say something just kind of like short and direct to you and <laughs> you kind of snap out of your head. Um, but I really was flexible about whether I was going to, you know, if I was just going to walk out or, you know, continue to, you know, you know, take my time through that race. And um, it went really well. And that was where things really felt like they turned around. And um, I was really lucky. And um, yeah. So that was in February of, nice. of the following of 2018. So, nice. yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you continued running did, and then after that, did you have any symptoms or anything pop back up? Yeah. So that was the, the second part. Um, so I'd already been through, you know, the labral tear, a possible, again, a, a differential diagnosis of a, a femoral stress uh, fracture, which, you know, didn't pan out, which was great. Um, so I have this hip that doesn't have a, you know, it has a torn labrum and, you know, I'm, I'm running and I'm feeling pretty good about things and, but it doesn't feel the same. Um, and I, I, I do write about how like one hip feels almost like the left hip feels a little bit like quicksand. Like when mm -hmm. I land on it, it's kind of mushy. Um, and my right hip feels very um, reactive. Like, you know, I put my pressure in it and the muscles react and they push me forward. So they definitely feel like two different type, two different hips. 
Um, and it was just, I, I mean, I experienced all kinds of weird things like my lat on that side, sometimes would spasm when I, when I would really push my left hip or my T band, like I could feel it all kind of going on on that side. Um, it was really interesting from an anatomical perspective, but, um, (laughs) yeah. And so the following year, um, I, I, um, had, I worked two races. That's where I would, you know, set up a booth. And I would talk to people and right up into the race and I'd jump in the race and I'd run the race because I'd have a free entry. And I had two of those, I had two of those races back to back. I had, um, it was one was the race of the taps, which was a 5k in Sierra Nevada. And um, I ran that and I ran really well and I felt really good. And I felt really like I gave it my all. And then the following weekend um, I had, it was uh, the wedge run, which was very, um, it was a very hot race. It starts at like 11 and I got out there and I really felt um, tired. I could feel how tired my left leg felt. And that was the picture mm. I sent you. Mm. Um, I really, I could tell, I was really pushing it through that um, 10K. And I was like, oh, you know, that's, you know, that doesn't feel, feel great. Um, and then, you know, during that summer, um, I started to feel a little bit of hamstring stuff on my left side. Um, and then I went on vacation for about a week and a half, went camping. I didn't do any running at all. I just really had this like great week with the kids and we did lots of lake sports and all this stuff. And as soon as I got back, um, I had some friends that were, um, training for shut in and I just jumped in with them to do this like training run with them on really steep stuff. And they were very well trained. I hadn't been running for like (laughs) a couple of weeks. And so I'm just like, you know, really pushing myself to, to keep up with them and, um, I really started to feel that hamstring um, talk to me on that left side, my high mm-hmm. hamstring. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I was like, you know, I better you know, take care of this thing. And then, yeah, kind of the, the nail in the coffin was just like a couple weeks later or two weeks later, I had a friend. She'd never done a track workout before. And I was like, oh, they're having track. You know, she was trained for a race. I was like, you know, you can jump in with their track workout. We'll just keep it light. And um, we show up and it was the Newton workout mm-hmm. and you can't really just like sit on the sidelines for that you know and so you know we kind of jumped in there and that was of course just just blew the top off my hamstring at that point after we finished that so um I had a high hamstring tenopathy after that so I had to really um use all my tools and my and my uh, toolkit to 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 rehab that so um and I kind of put down, you know, my blog, you know, obviously all the mistakes I kind of met, like all the speed work I kind of hopped into and some of these things, um, feeling that hamstring. So, um, so yeah, we can talk about hamstring tenopathy if you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I want to go back for a second. Cause you mentioned the picture that you sent me, the, the two comparison pictures. Do you want to just briefly describe those? So everybody knows what you're, you're referring to. Yeah. Um, so there was a guy taking pictures out the race and he took, when I was going by, he took two quick little snapshots. And on one snapshot, I was landing on my right leg. And on the other snapshot, I was landing on my left leg. And it's really crazy because he caught me at the exact same moment of landing on each leg. And I was so horrified when I saw the picture of my left, because I mean, maybe you can describe it, but it, it looked how I felt like my muscles were just kind of popping out on that left side, just straining to hold my hip together is what it kind of felt like. Right. Um, what did you think it looked like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it just looked like the one side just dropped, like, you know, mm-hmm. like your hips just weren't even um, mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you didn't have that capacity to just hold that that stride 
um, mm-hmm. or hold that footfall. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I saw. And, you know, I mean, when did you get those photos and, and what did you take from that? Yeah. I mean, what I took from that, that was, I was tired and, um, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of times you can't, you can't really know what you're about to get into without learning from the past. Um, if I, you know, I was feeling that left leg really kind of wilt and mm. I what I've learned from that is I probably will never do two back-to-back races, um, <laughs> like that for <laughs> 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 free entry. Um, you know, so like with this left hip, um, you know, and I'm fine with it, but I definitely have some rules that I need to follow, mm. uh, which is, you know, not doing too much speed work. So anytime I would get back into doing some speed work, I give myself at least a month to like warm up. To, and I tell even if someone's healthy, I think, you know, we have some pretty heavy, you know, speed workouts here, you know, mm-hmm. give yourself a month to kind of get used to doing that, to pushing that kind of force through your system. So I, I really take down the mileage and I really take down the effort in the beginning and really give myself a lot more time to adapt. I have to plan better. I have to make sure I don't jump into things just kind of willy nilly um, and make sure that I'm not overdoing it um, training wise. Mm-hmm. So I definitely feel like I have to be a, a much smarter runner um, uh, since this injury, which, you know, it's fine. It's stuff I should have, you know, obviously I tell yeah. my clients to do and, you know, I have to practice myself yeah. um, and strength training is a big part of it. I have to be stronger. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Your body definitely needs that for, especially for speed sessions. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, one of the the big mistakes that I think people training for 5k and, and 10k typically make is that they just go into speed, you know, just like you jumped into the, the Newton session. Um, mm-hmm. you know, when we're training for something like that, especially if there's a, a goal race that we're looking at, not to say you can't have buildup races, but, um, you know, we tend to train least specific to most specific. So if your goal race is a 5k or 10k, your most specific work is going to be your, your speed session. So those should be later in the training. And as, as you said, you kind of build into it, you build your base, maybe you start doing some strides, right? So you introduce speed into your training, but they only need to be 10 to 15 seconds long, just kind of an introduction of speed, simple it could be on hills, um, try to reinforce good habits. And then, you know, you actually want to do longer intervals, um, and like at a slower pace. So more like your lactate threshold, your 80% to 85% maximum heart rate, kind of increasing your, your capacity to, to sustain faster speeds. And then as you approach your 5k, that's when you start throwing in your true speed sessions and your kind of 90% efforts and such. Um, I think that's, you know, the, a good progression for folks. Um, I, I'd feel bad if, if, you know, being a coach, not saying anything about it. So <laughs> if if you are doing something, that is a great progression. And if anybody has questions about that kind of training periodization, you know, please just let me know because I'd rather see you do it the right way than, you know, um, unfortunately find a, a circumstance like Miriam found herself in. Um, yeah. So, um, yes, um, uh, hamstring uh, proximal hamstring tendinopathy. <laughs> um, yes. yes. Um, let's, let's talk about that. Um, so can you, um, just start with, uh, a, kind of an overall broad definition of what are we, what are we talking about here? 
<laughs> yeah, so proximal hamstring tendinopathy is usually uh, manifested as pain near the sit bone of whatever leg that's affected. That's where the hamstring inserts is kind of ischial tuberosity. So um, in the purest form, a lot of times it's pain as the tendon merges kind of into that bone. Um, a lot of times people have also pain in the glute um, because it also has a very tendinous insertion near there. Um, and a lot of times it's overloaded for the same reason. Um, and, and they can be different kinds of discomfort, but a lot of times, um, it's things that like speed work will bring it on, um, really climbing hills a lot will spring it, will bring it on because of the angle of hip flexion where you're pushing force through the leg. You're really having that, that hip really flexed, um, uh, rowing. So sometimes people will be doing some cross training where they're doing an activity where there's a lot of forced hip flexion. So rowing can be one of them. Mm. Um, and so, and so a lot of times people will have pain with those activities and also with actually sitting. So sometimes if you're sitting, you'll have pain right on the issue of tuberosity. Obviously the sitting didn't bring it on, but that's where it really starts to wrap the tendon around, um, that sit bone. Mm. So that's usually where you start to feel it. It's when things have kind of gotten into that chronic area. So it's been happening over several weeks. Um, so like what I was experiencing, I really had built that on over, I mean, almost the entire, um, like spring and summer, fall, actually. Um, so, you know, it'd been a couple months that I had been, you know, really kind of aggravating my hamstring. Um, so that's when we start to call it a tendinopathy because we're starting to see some changes within the tendon. Um, and, and the biggest thing, you really brought this up. I think this is a really important um, aspect when you're dealing with hamstring tendinopathy or really any tendinopathy. Um, a lot of my issues were with social running. So like I, there were so many opportunities that looked really fun to me and I really had never had a problem before. So I didn't have that kind of background where I, I thought my left would really kind of lead me up to that. And then also everything looked really fun that I was doing. I was mm -hmm. like, Oh, I'd love to like do this and do that. Um, when you're dealing with an injury, um, especially like a tendinopathy, sometimes you, the, the hardest thing is not being a part of that social run that you're used to. Um, whether, you know, it's your track group or your brewery run or, you know, the group of friends that you get together with in the morning or whatever it is, you know, and so sometimes it's nice to have some accountability. So, again, a coach is a really great person, uh, you know, your therapist, whoever it may be, but having some accountability in the beginning so you don't continue to overdo it. Because mm. um, I think a lot of problems can, can be kind of nipped, you know, if you if you take good care of it. Um, there was a wonderful paper by Tom Goom um, about dealing with hamstring tenopathy in different phases. Um, it worked really well for me. Um, it was basically when you start having a high hamstring tenopathy, basically using exercises that keep the hips straight mm -hmm. at first and making the holds either like an isometric where you hold, you know, for, you know, 30, 45 seconds. This is something like a straight leg bridge or um, a bent knee bridge so that when you activate the hamstring, the hip is straight versus having the hip flex. So you don't do things um, with a really irritable tendinopathy like a deadlift until much later in the phases when you start mm. to want to bend the hip. Um, but he put a really nice paper out that has these different phases of exercises. And it doesn't matter, you know, what your background is. You can look at these different phases he puts out and they're very easy to replicate. Um, cool. I always start with the first one, you know, leg straight. He gives you a couple of different options, but it's a, it's a great paper. And it was um, Tom Goom. Tom Goom, G-O-O-M. Uh-huh, Tom okay. Goom. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Okay. Um, it, something else that you had mentioned too, um, 
and and this is a common mistake that I see in in runners I coach too is they they start running right and they automatically assume that they can hop right back into their group runs and they may not have the fitness yet to to hop back in you know and a lot of times I see them running too hard you know too often because they have this social group that they want to be a part of but they're running too hard for where they're at in their training and they're just putting on too much load and then you know they start getting either a fatigue or b injury so you know i've had to tell like i you know i told our mutual friend jared he had reached out to me and jared is he's a fast runner and i love running with jared jared is he's a dear friend but you know i said jared i'm not ready (laughs) i'm not ready for running you know with you yet i don't have the fitness you know i had i had to turn it down because i knew that he was, he was, you know, he, his paces at where he was at in his training was much above where my training was. Um, so sometimes as frustrating as that can be, you may have to find another avenue or another group to join in the intermarry as you gain back your fitness and have patience to gain back your fitness so that you do gain that fitness at an appropriate rate and that you don't get injured. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry for my, there's my my pedestal i'm getting back off again (laughs) yeah but that's exactly right and i think it you know it ties into you know i have these discussions every day with people because it really is um it's sad you know like it's really hard it feels it does not feel good not to you know be able to do things with your friends especially when you're a runner right um and so yeah if you can just create a little bit of a network for yourself while you're getting better you know Mm -hmm. people walk with you or whatever it is that you can do at that point um, you know, it's, it's hard, but it's definitely worth it. Right. Um, right. Yes. But, yeah. oh, or if you are creative enough that like you already have a workout planned and it's at a certain rate and those people are going at that rate, then yeah, use it as your workout. But you'll understand that, you know, it's, it's, if you're going above your training too, too much, too often, you're leading yourself down the wrong path of fitness. So, um, I'm sorry. So, um, let's get back to, to Tom Goom. Um, <laughs> I, I had a, um, we, we were, before we started the the podcast recording, we were talking about, um, another podcast that I was listening to. And one of the guests, um, he talked about the, I believe it's the, the Nordic hamstring curl being mm-hmm. a, a good exercise for proximal, um, hamstring tendinopathy. Um, like that's a pretty i mean that's a pretty tough move i mean like that's a pretty advanced move for anyone like you know he was he came out with uh the 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 guest came out with the device that you could like close the door and it, it allowed you to do the the motion which for those that aren't familiar with the exercise it's basically having your ankles locked down and you're you're on your knees and your feet back and ankles are kind of held down and then you are um, kind of at a 90 degree, your knees are at a 90 and you're straight up like Miriam was describing with hip straight. And then you kind of just lean forward until you can't hold yourself up anymore. And then you come back up. So you get to that threshold and come back up, which is extremely difficult. That takes a lot of strength, especially, you know, it works the hamstrings, which is, you know, uh, kind of the idea, but at the same time, it's such an advanced move on that kind of uh, my question to you, I'm sorry, in, in the hierarchy or levels in which Tom Goom talked about, uh, where does that exercise fall on, uh, on that, um, on that scale? Yeah. You know, obviously that's, it's a great one because the hips are straight um, so you're not going into hip flexion while you load the hamstrings, but it's a lot. If you do the full Nordic hamstring, um, you know, to the floor. Now, if someone is a high level soccer player or, you know, track and field or whatever, that's something that I do expect them to get to. 
Um, but you know, if that's, if you, if it's a different, different demographic, I would not expect somebody to get to a full Nordic hamstring curl. Sure. Um, and there's lots of different, um, levels of hip straight exercises. Um, I, on my Instagram, I show, like, I like to do them, but I do one that's like 50%. So I use a, um, I use a little Swiss ball in front of me and I'll mm -hmm. control the Nordic curl just about 20 or 25% till I start to feel that my hamstrings really engage. And then I, um, use the ball to help bring me back. So um, I really like that one. It feels very doable. I'll share that um, cool. Instagram with you. Um, but you. that's a modification. But there are yeah, so great. many other ones that you can do. Um, if you have Jay DeSherry's book, The mm -hmm. Running Rewired, um, things that super helped me were the um, the frog bridges. He has yes. like one that you do about 50 frog bridges. Yes. And then the um, hamstring bridge on ball. Mm -hmm. um, the bridge and pull the ball underneath you and they gave me a lot of pain relief and that's what we're finding with a lot of just even the isometrics like holding a straight leg bridge or holding um, a ball curl for a couple seconds is that it actually almost has an analgesic effect um, on that kind of cranky hamstring which is great um, that's awesome, that's awesome. So. yeah I, I like it's, it's hard and, and that's why I'm glad that you're kind of talking about other exercises that might be easier to to do for everyone because we oftentimes we hear these podcasts or we'll read, you know, outdoor has the five best exercises for proximal hamstring tendinopathy and like, you know, yeah. it's clickbait. Right. And like, you look at it and you're like, dear Lord, I can't, I couldn't do that. If I, you know, if I, if I wanted to, um, so, <laughs> you know, knowing that, the, you know, there's other yeah. things out there and other resources. I just don't want people to, you know, to listen to these podcasts and be like, oh, that's what I need to do. Cause that's, you know, that's perhaps that's not the level they're at. And I, you know, that's, this is kind of a reoccurring theme is we have to be able to do things with the capacity that we have at that moment. Now, you know, as you said, you could probably grow towards doing some type of, you know, um, Nordic hamstring curl, maybe not the full to the floor, you know, mm -hmm. but if you grow towards that, whereas like some people feel like, oh, I should buy that you know, that, that tool and just, that's what I should be doing. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I'm glad you gave us some other ideas and resources and, um, yeah, running rewired for those that don't have Jay DeSherry's book is such a, Oh, I mean, I can't, I always, I, I probably should get some kind of, um, royalties for the amount of times that I, <laughs> I mentioned his book, but <laughs> it's such a great resource. Um, fantastic. Uh, so, you back to your story um you know you're you've um you you have this high hamstring pain um with where you were at um did you try to continue running or were you trying to address the hamstring or a combination of both yeah 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 so um luckily i was also um it's, it's funny i became infatuated with things that when that when they weren't a problem for me researching them and so it was really <laughs> nice when you know, when they happened to me, because I was like, okay, I know the literature on this. And um, again, this was in 2018. This was still a while ago. So um, uh, things that really helped, um, tendons don't like complete rest. And so I tell people, you know, every, every injury in running has kind of a different profile. So like, obviously, bone stress injuries, we have to shut them down. Um, tendon injuries, we don't want to completely shut them down. We, tendons don't like to have no load pushed through them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I, um, I did a little um, YouTube recently about plantar fasciopathy. And um, I talk about the green light, the yellow light and the red light. 
and this was from, I think earlier, Tom A talks about this in a, in a paper, but um, green light is that zero to two. So if zero was no pain and 10 was a whole lot of pain, you know, you know, pretty severe pain. Sure. Um, zero to two on that scale is really safe. Okay. So if I'm doing something with my hamstring tendon, I'm going on a run or I'm doing this and I'm, I'm just having a zero to two pain. I know I'm fine. Okay. The okay. yellow is two to five. Okay. And that's kind of the caution light. Okay. So like if I'm bumping into that, I'm aware of it. I want to make sure when I'm done with that activity, it starts to dim down and doesn't doesn't flare. Red is that five to ten. Um, I don't. I know I don't want to bump into that during my tendon rehab because that's going to set me back. Mm. Um, and so I was allowing 24 to 48 hours between my runs. I was keeping my runs um, in that kind of I don't know zero to four range. I probably was being very conservative, maybe zero to three range. Um, I was, um, making sure I wasn't, obviously I cut out the speed work. Um, I wasn't racing up hills. Um, I kept, um, if I was going up a hill, I actually felt pretty good. If I kept my steps short, it actually helped my hip. I'd stay pretty straight and upright. Um, so I would just take hills slowly and it felt pretty good. Um, I wasn't doing long duration hills either. I wasn't climbing for, you know, 20 minutes. Mm. Um, so I was doing like some mounds of sea stuff or some things in Bent Creek. Um, so I was kind of doing that. I was doing um, st uh, the strength training that really helped in the beginning for me. And I did not have sit pain. I will say that I was very like I didn't have any kind of sit bone pain when I would sit. But I do um, talk to people that do because you do want to unweight your sit bone. Um, so there's a purple cushion, a, a cushion by purple, the simple cushion. Um, it's like a little um, it unloads the sit bone a little bit so you can take it with you, you can put it in your office chair, your car, you can take it with you on the plane. Cause obviously like, especially a lot of my execs that have to be on the plane, you know, take, you know, fly all the time, you know, and sitting down, it can be really painful. Um, and I used to recommend also like a Rojo cushion. That was a different, another kind of cushion that would unload your sit bone. So um, either of those would be great. So whatever you can do to unload your sit bone when you would sit for prolonged periods of time. And the more you do it, like the more you have to sit and is changing that surface, the better off you are. Um, cause there's not a whole lot you can do about the kind of pressures you have with sitting. Um, and I did very well in the beginning again, like Jay's frog bridge felt great. Um, I got a bench machine that I could do a prone hamstring curl. Um, my hip was straight and I could, you know, use a little bit of lightweight and do prone hamstring curls that felt great. Um, and then the straight leg bridges on the ball felt really good. So I kind of kept with those three. Um, I added weight to some of my bridges later on. So I'd weight a bar and do a bridge um, with the bar. Um, there's an example of that also in Jay's book. So I kept with a lot of straight legged exercises and kept up with some running. And that all worked really well. Um, I think because of my hip instability with my hip labrum, I never really push full deadlifts anymore. Um, I don't really need to. Um, I can do a modified deadlift where, you know, I can lift off a block or something like that and still get some good gains from that. Um, I feel a lot more stability when I do that. So um, deadlifts, single leg deadlifts, um, those kinds of things are things you put in the very later phases. Um, and so they should be giving you the same kind of pain relief that the earlier phases were. So if you start into them and they make your hamstring cranky, back down. Um, so either change the range or back down to the straight leg bridges. Um, but I, I can't say enough about Goom's paper because he really does bring you through and he gives you several examples, like picture examples of these exercises. Cool. Um, so you can really kind of pick, you know, two or three awesome. um, and do those every other day. So. Awesome. All right. Mm -hmm. um, I have notes here to put in the show notes, so I'll make sure that uh, 
Miriam and I get all the resources together so that if anybody's interested in um, either Goom's paper or any of these other um, resources that they'll be in the, uh, the show notes. Um, so timeline um, with uh, proximal hamstring tendinopathy. Now, I know this is going to be very uh, independent, right? Like it just depends on the person, the severity, uh, you know, so, um, but for you, what type of timeline did you look at? Yeah, you know, so I, you know, I probably, you know, cranked it up over the course of a year. So it took me, it took me about six months, I would say, to feel really confident on my hamstring again. Um, and that doesn't mean, again, I wasn't running, but I'm, I, I'm talking about like competing and training for some pretty, sure. you know, things were tough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I felt pretty good about it about six months in. Okay. Um, but I definitely had, you know, so like, um, let's see, there was some longer, like shut in and like Black Mountain Monster. Like I definitely found times within that training that I had to really ramp up or add load to those straight leg exercises to really kind of buffer the effects of the longer running or the uphill running. Mm. Um, and, but yeah, it's just not the same for everybody. So, um, sometimes people, um, you know, they, when they get into faster paces or get into a lot of like really extreme climbing, it can be pretty cranky. So, um, you know, not all things work for all people. And so I try to tell people that it's not that you're doing something wrong or anything like that, but, um, definitely, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to do things. Sure. Um, we've talked about, um, strengthening, um, a lot of people, their first instinct may be to stretch it. Um, what are we, what are we looking at with stretching? Is that, you know, is that a good thing, bad thing? What do you suggest there? Yeah. So the best way to think about all most tendinopathies to like Achilles and the hamstring, is they insert into a, a large bone that's almost round. Um, so if we're talking about the hamstring tendinopathy situation, like if you stand up and you bend straight from your hip, like you're doing a waiter's bow, um, that is wrapping the tendon around the bone. And we know that those compressive forces, we know from the research that those compressive forces can really irritate the tendon. And so that's why we don't try to do like really run up hills really hard or do a lot of like rowing when it's cranky. Um so stretching can be a real problem because you're going to be wrapping that tendon around the bone. And, and two, we know it doesn't really help. Um, but the, the problem is tendinopathies a lot of times make people feel tight. Um, the tendon is just not very resilient and it has that, that feeling of tightness. Um, so I like teaching people how to do some trigger point release using either lacrosse balls or things like that, because that tends to give them some pain relief without overstretching the tendon, because I'd rather them do that with a ball with the hips somewhat extended than really wrapping that tendon into an extreme stretch for a long period of time. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I think that's a, a good kind of overview of, uh, of things that should be and should be, shouldn't be done. Um, is there anything else that you can think of that um, maybe you know somebody might might try that either is you know it's it's effective or perhaps you know that there's things out there that you're like I've seen this and I don't suggest it. <laughs> yeah, gosh, um, 
Yeah. So intense, long stretching. Um, some I, I haven't looked at any research on this, but um, some people really, especially when they're kind of out of the woods with it, they really like hot yoga. And I think mm. it's because it does help with some of the mobility of their muscles as they get warmer. Mm. Um, so I think a lot of runners um, do kind of gravitate towards that after they, you know, if they feel tight doing some hot yoga and things like that. Again, I tell them try not to overstretch mm-hmm. um, during their yoga sessions if that's you know part of it. Sure. Um, you know, no matter what, if you're Googling on tendinopathies, you're going to run into um, issues or, or ideas or suggestions for injections. Mm. Um, there's all kinds of things out there. There's platelet-rich plasma injections you'll read about. There's Prolo. Um, there's some newer studies I've seen on platelet-poor plasma injections, which are kind of interesting. Um, everything's, everything's kind of a quagmire in the injection realm. Um, I think there's, you know, I always hope there's more possibilities for solid success with some of those, but, um, it's still kind of 50, 50, I think on people that try some of the injections with those. Um, uh, one thing that's kind of exciting is uh, shockwave therapy. Um, there's some, there's some good literature on shockwave therapy and tendons. Um, again, that's still, you know, kind of a newer realm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's starting to come out there in the research. So, um, that's how about kind of taping? Is there, uh, has taping been shown to help taping? It depends on what it is. I mean, sometimes I can feel pretty good. It's really arduous to tape, to tape your hamstring all the time. Some people prefer to have some of that compression garments, mm-hmm. um, which I think are kind of, kind of nice. You know, they just feel more secure. Um, but yeah, you can rock tape your you know, or kinesio tape your hamstring if you, if you want. Um, it just is kind of a, um, a lot to do sometimes all the time to do that. Um, with the Achilles, um, CEP has an Achilles sock. So if someone has mid portion Achilles tendinopathy, there's a really, that is kind of a cool, I get some good feedback from people about the Achilles sock from CEP. Um, let's see anything else off the top of your head that Mm. you've heard about? I think you've mentioned most of them. You know, I was thinking about the compression gear. So you mentioned that. Um, no, I, I mean, I can't think of that. You know, I'm sure if you Googled <laughs> uh, proximal hamstring tendinopathy devices, like there's, you know, there's some, some you know, gadgets out there, but. Uh, there's no, I mean, really the, the, the eccentric, the concentric and eccentric exercises going from a straight hip to a more flexed hip as you improve loading it. Um, it has the highest research now comfort level. Um, this was another blog I was going to write that why dry needling isn't magic, but I will say that I did a lot of dry needling for myself, um, when I was rehabbing, cause it just really helped, um, with the spasms sometimes I was having and some mm-hmm. of the pain. Um, so, but I tell people, even though and that's, that's the problem is a lot of times you do it and you feel great, but you have to realize that it didn't make the tendon stronger. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make the hip stronger. Right. Um, and so, you know, if you do something like that or massage or whatever, don't let it give you a false sense of, well, now I really can go out and, and do this because you, you might feel really good, but the tendon hasn't changed. Um, so sure. yeah. um, make sure that your loading exercises are reflecting as, as much as you're feeling. So. so it sounds like the, the cushions, if you're having the, the sit, um, you know, pain, that's, that sounds like the, the only device that <laughs> is really worth any type of purchase. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you have to sit, you do, do use something to unload the tendon. Cool. All yeah. right. Um, anything else on proximal hamstring tendinopathy that you can think of? 
Yeah. I mean, that's really the main thing is that cool. yellow light, the green light, yellow light, red light scenario, um, using it with whatever running paradigm you have at the point, you know, whether yeah. it's run, walk or modified run, and then using it with your loading exercises. Wonderful. Okay. And so now you're, you're running injury free, pain free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling pretty, but I mean, it's always something that's there and that's why I wanted to right. write about it. You yeah. know, it's, yeah, sure. it's always a part of my training. It's always something I have to manage the more I push myself. Um, so, so yeah, and, but I'm, I'm good with it. I'm happy with the way things are in that sense, but I try to keep an open mind, you know, as I get older, if I, you know, need, need to do intervention, I will keep my, my mind open to it if I need to. But right now I'm really, I'm really happy um, with how it's going. Yeah. It's uh, a great way to close. Um, Miriam, how can people reach out to you and get in touch with you? Uh, yeah. Um, I have an email runnersmechanic at gmail.com. Um, I also have um, on my website, uh, the runnersmechanic.com. You can actually book a phone consult. And sometimes that's a great way instead of playing phone tag, just put yourself in there for a phone consult and we can talk. Um, but yeah, either of those would be great. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Miriam, for, for not only sharing your experience, but your, your expertise and knowledge on, on how to deal with it. So thank you. <laughs> sure no problem it's good to see you <laughs> you too man well thank you miriam and thank you tara once again i really appreciate both of you and i hope all of you enjoyed that it's fun fun hearing from the two of them um and uh you know i i continue to to roll along myself um i am actually heading out this podcast will release on uh, February 16th, and I'm going to be heading towards Tennessee um, to go check out the Rim Runner course. Um, it's the 50 miler that I am doing on April 1st, and it's a two lap course. So I'm going to go run uh, the 25 mile lap and check it out, get a kind of course preview for myself. Be my longest run to date. I'm pretty excited about that building back. So that's wonderful. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, the first stepping stone in my journey towards the, uh, the grand slam. Um, so it's, it's exciting that it's, you know, it's kind of coming to fruition here. Uh, I talked about in my newsletter, which if you haven't seen, I released the newsletter, um, last week. So you can check that out on my website if you haven't done so already and subscribe there as well. It's a monthly newsletter. It's free. But I talked about in there how it's tough to stay present when you have so much to look forward to in a year. How do you stay within um, the, I, you know, I termed it the micro cycle. You've got the um, uh, micro cycle, meso cycle and macro cycle. And, you know, it's, it's tough to stay present. And, you know, looking at everything in the micro cycle, in, in my case, what's happening in the week that you're in, you know, my, my coach kind of gives um, the schedule in kind of three day increments. So, um, I, you know, I kind of have a, a general idea of what may be coming, but um, I really don't know for sure, um, you know, even even what's what's at the end of the week sometimes so at the beginning of the week i'm not sure what my long run may look like um which you know it does keep me present i'm i'm more worried about what i have today and how i'm feeling today um and uh you know i, I also talk in the newsletter about how i continue to just you know slow down a little bit more um i've never really run um, zone one, and i've been doing a lot more zone run one running because i'm running seven days a week right now uh, which I haven't done in a long time either. Uh, just found, you know, as I got older, it was just tougher for me to recover. 
And um, by running zone one, I found that I'm recovering so much easier. Um, so I've really slowed it down and just running zone one, um, taking it super easy. And that's really helped me recover. I feel so much better on, on all my runs. Um, I've also just stopped um, putting restrictions on my diet. Um, I'm to the point in my life where I kind of want to just enjoy what I'm eating and I want to enjoy my life. And I just felt that putting so many restrictions on it, I really wasn't enjoying, um, you know, my food, my eating, um, you know, I just, I don't want to, I don't have to think so much, you know, I want to make sure I'm eating healthy and the right things. So I I think in that regard, but you know, I don't want to worry about, you know, how many carbohydrates does this have and et cetera. So, um, kind of just got back to that and actually I feel pretty healthy. Um, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not. I'm not cutting weight and that's okay. Um, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at, you know, for this year goals are just to finish and stay healthy. And I think that's the big thing that that I kind of came to. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot there, (laughs) a lot, a lot going on, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. I'm happy. I'm happy with where I'm at and the way things are going. Um, good communication with my coach, uh, and, um, outdoor is just starting uh you know as i record this we're having our first day of outdoor track practice I'm recording this on february 14th so um and by the time you listen to this happy belated valentine's day <laughs> so um you know we're starting outdoor track really excited about that had a, a good state meet proud of the kids they each got sixth place in the state uh as a team so boys and girls teams both took sixth place overall in our state meet so I'm really pleased with them. Uh, we'll have a few kids going on to nationals for indoor, but uh, we're we're already starting outdoor. So very excited for for that prospect. Um, and as far as uh, coaching goes, um, I am still full. <laughs> so if you're listening to this podcast and looking for coaching uh, at this time, unfortunately, I am full. If you're looking for coaching for you know perhaps later in the summer or in the fall. Uh, Totally okay to reach out to me now if you want to do that consideration, kind of, you know, maybe uh, put a, a, a placeholder because hopefully by that time, you know, no guarantees, obviously, but hopefully I will have some space open up for coaching. But at this time, I am completely full. So um, with that said, um, you know, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please reach out. No, I, I'm happy to hear from you. I've gotten some great suggestions for, for future podcasts, uh, some video podcasts. Um, so, um, you know, stay tuned for all that stuff. And uh, really, thank you for being a part of this. As always, thank you to my Patreon supporters uh, who continue to support me on a monthly basis. Um, if you feel you can support at that level, whether, whether it's a dollar a month or more, um, please visit the Patreon link in the show notes. I sincerely appreciate that. Um, my fundraising efforts continue to go forward. So if you can support, um, you know, my fundraising uh, for the challenged athlete foundation or for the Vermont adaptive, um, both of which provided me with the spot, uh, excuse me, spots in, uh, Leadville and Vermont respectively. Um, you know, that if you can donate to those, the links are also in the show notes. Uh, love to reach that $10,000 mark, uh, fundraising between the two. Uh, just over a thousand dollars short of reaching that ten thousand total 
um, fundraising goal. So uh, I'll probably make another big push for for fundraising soon because I'd love to hit that. That's just a personal goal. I love giving back to these athletes. It, it means a tremendous amount, uh, you know, to me to be able to prov- help provide opportunities um, by the support through generous folks like you. So if you can donate, check out the links. If you have questions about that, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, once again, thank you. Thank you for being a part of this podcast, for being a part of the MR Running Pains world. And um, I look forward to the next episode. But until then, keep running, my friends.